All right. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Sales Pipeline Radio. I'm your host, Matt Hines. Very excited to have you here. Uh, hopefully, you are here to learn more about B2B sales and marketing. And uh, if you are live, if you're watching us live on LinkedIn today, very excited that you're here. It's part of your work day. If you are joining us live on LinkedIn, you have an opportunity to be part of the show. If you have a question for our guest today, if you have a comment on today's topic, uh, certainly want to be able to address that uh, in the session today. And we can bring you in live. If you're listening or watching on demand, thank you very much for uh, for watching, for downloading, for subscribing. Every episode of Sales Pipeline Radio, uh, we've got hundreds of episodes in the in the can now, uh, but uh, every episode's available on demand at salespipelineradio.com. Very excited to have with us as our guest today, Jonathan Spear. He's the CEO of Rev, multi-time founder, uh, advisor, investor. And uh, Jonathan, excited to have you here today. Thanks, Matt. I'm a big fan of the show. Glad to be here. So there was a lot of topics that we that we that we we said we might want to talk about here. Um, I certainly want to talk about sort of mistakes companies make in who they choose to sell to, um, how companies sort of build out their addressable market. Um, but I think some something that that I've seen in a lot of materials from Rev is this concept that the future of sales is above the funnel. Can you describe what that means and why that's important? Uh, absolutely, you bet. It, you know, it's something I'm, I'm really passionate about. Having been in the in the B2B space for a long time and and built sales teams, and and you've seen it. You know, over the last 20, 25 years, we've gotten better at every level of the sales stack. We're so much better now at nurturing leads, at at managing transactions, even post sale. But in a way, we we sort of take it for granted that very first step. You know, figure out who you should be talking to in the first place. Mm-hmm. In a way, we kind of still let that be, you know, almost random. It's just in, in a lot of cases, just up to the reps or up to SDRs to figure that out. We, we call that space above the funnel and, and we think it's time to change that and, and start bringing some order to the chaos above the funnel. Well, who you sell to matters, right? And I think that, you know, a lot of companies sort of, you know, sometimes aim a little too large when they think about their target addressable market. Um, say, okay, who can we sell to? Well, we're in healthcare, so we can sell to anyone in healthcare, right? Well, yes and no. Um, what companies actually need your service right now? Which of them are poised to buy? Uh, talk a little bit about sort of the difference between an addressable market and maybe a serviceable, obtainable market and why that differentiation is, may, is so important. Oh, sure. I mean, what, what you're saying, first of all, is exactly right, which is that, you know, we know where we gravitate. We gravitate to companies we know because we've worked with them in the past and we've heard of them. And uh, and that's natural. Like, we'll all do that when we're selling. But uh, as, as strategists, if we want to plan a, a smart go-to-market, we should be thinking differently. We should be thinking about that Tam and Sam. And the real first way to do that is to recognize that your target market has characteristics uh, buyers have common problems because they're built and they execute in, in similar ways. And identifying the universe of companies that, that share a problem because they're structured the same way, have the same kinds of challenges, uh, is, is absolutely super important. And first of all, a lot more important, a lot more relevant than the old school way of doing it. It's just looking at industries. Industry just in the end of the day doesn't tell you enough to make those decisions. Well, I can't tell if uh, I'm frozen or if Jonathan's frozen. It could be that Jonathan's frozen here. So if that's true and you can hear me, I'm going to keep going. Hopefully he comes back. Um, 
Let's see here. Jonathan is frozen. All right. Well, hopefully we can get him back. I think one of the things I was going to bring up, and I'll, I'll ask him a question around this here in a second if we get him, is um, the, the Gartner data that I saw from a couple of years ago. And it's still relevant today that, you know, they looked at sort of sales readiness amongst a bunch of companies. Um, and they found that three to 4% of any given market is actively buying, uh, meaning they're in market right now, they're ready to buy 46% of most markets. And this is looking across B2B markets, 46% of markets are what they call poised. Um, and I think there's, it's really relevant today's conversation around who you sell to, uh, because who is poised, maybe someone who actually needs, um, what you're selling. Um, but why are they poised? Why are they not actively buying? Well, maybe they don't understand the problem. Maybe they don't haven't quantified the problem. Maybe they have bigger problems that they know of that they're addressing right now. But what of those factors, what of those intent signals, what of those factors that exist within the company, exist around the company, can actually proactively move people from a poised phase to an actively buying phase. I think that's one of the things we got to look at as sellers, because it's not just idea about anymore, like building a target account list and then selling to that perpetually. Your account, your, the list of people you should sell to is going to change on a regular basis. Maybe not every day, but at least on a quarterly basis, I think it's important to say, okay, who are we selling to and why? What criteria exists for some of those organizations to buy as well? What didn't exist for a company a month ago, but exists today? What existed a month ago, but doesn't exist today? And so if you think about those criteria as valuable, I think you're going to get to, um, you get to a better dynamic target list. Jonathan, we're excited to have you back. I, I <laughs> tap danced uh, as well as I could while you were gone. Um, but we started to get into this concept of, um, of exographics and some of the, some of the detailed information that you don't get in a typical database, right? Okay. Mid-market healthcare companies in the Midwest. That may be a nice starting point. But what else do I need to know about some of those companies to know which I should sell to? I, so I think people have heard of demographics, psychographics, firmographics. Um, exographics is a little different. Can you define that and give some examples of what that is? Yeah, you, you, you bet. I mean, it's, it's the fundamental problem above the funnel is figuring out who's a good fit for your ICP and who isn't. And the problem with some of those other data types like firmographics is there's just too many companies that look exactly the same. Uh, you know, you take companies like uh, John Deere and Caterpillar, you know, same industry, industrial machinery, uh, same number of employees, roughly same, same size, roughly. You can't learn anything about those two companies from, from just industry and size information. What exographics are, it's, it's a concept that Rev has really popularized. It's information about how a company actually executes. Uh, for example, Cat happens to be an early adopter of new technology. Deer is a little more conservative, a bit of a mid-adopter. Cat uh, was aggressive to the cloud. Deer a, a little later to that. Cat has a, a almost pure B2B focus. Deer has a mix, B2B and B2C. Those are three different dimensions, exographics, that tell you a lot about those companies. Now, which one should you sell to? It depends. It depends what you're selling. You might want the early adopter or you might want the late adopter, but knowing that difference lets you hone in much more accurately on who's a great prospect. 
It really does. It's a, it's a really good example. I like that one. The other one that I would use is we've we've helped um, we helped a large software company in Redmond. You know, won't give the name of them, but large software Redmond based company. Um, you know, sell into school districts, and you would think that okay, well, let's target the biggest school districts, the biggest by number of students, right? Well, okay. But like when you're going to market, like what are some other factors involved? Uh, we found out that there's a role called a curriculum technologist. Didn't know about that before. Some districts have them, some don't. If they have one, it means they're more advanced in the way they think about technology. Things like how are technology decisions made? Are they made at the district level or the school level? Like the New York Board of Education is the third largest school district in the country and technology decisions, at least back then, were made at a school level. Now, we did, all, we did all this math and came up with these criteria and sort of said A, B, C targets for who we wanted to sell to and what we were willing to do to try to acquire them. That data changes. So one of the things we I mentioned when you were gone, Jonathan, is like, okay, you can put these criteria in place. You can build a target sales list today, but the market continues to change. The variables in and around your customers change as well. So your target sales list is going to be fluid over time. Talk about like what you've seen there and any recommendations for how often people need to be revisiting both the set of criteria they're using as well as who's on that sales list. Yeah, it, it needs to be dynamic. And that's that's part of the challenge we've all had. You know, when we leave it up to the, to the reps of SDRs or, or what have you to just sort of go out there and, and do their best. Like, you know, they're great. Even a great hardworking rep is still, you know, guessing at, at that point. And you're right, the data changes. What companies have been doing, creating a, a single static list, and they create it every few years. It just gets always bigger. Um, you, you're bound to end up wasting time either having to re-research those companies or just talking to the wrong people to begin with. Yep. And our, our recommendation is that it is dynamic. I mean, that is the power of AI and making some of these exographic type um, uh, criteria constantly visible. Uh, you know, at the same time, you don't want to overwhelm the team with constantly shifting data. So we think of it a lot like Google Maps. You know, Google Maps is so good at knowing, you know, you're trying to get from point A to point B. And they do a great job telling you when there's some traffic building ahead. But they'll only really reroute you if there's, you know, a, a five minute delay or, or longer. Those, those kind of ideas. Mm -hmm. And that's how we think about um, the, the product we've built, which is our, our sales development platform. Uh, number one, it's generate uh, uh, highly relevant target account lists. And number two, it's, it's wait for the changes that are truly meaningful and push those through to the sales team, through Salesforce, push them through to Marketo or Outreach or wherever else you need that data, but do it when there's a real and meaningful change, which mm -hmm. we think is at least monthly, which is, by mm -hmm. the way, far more after than most people are doing it. Mm -hmm. So monthly or quarterly, at absolutely least, this data should be refreshed. Got it. Got it. Got it. We're talking today on Sales Pipeline Radio with Jonathan Spear. He's the CEO of Rev. You can check him out at getrev.ai. Um, so everything we're talking about here in terms of getting even more precise in who we should be selling to. Um, let's talk about the other side of this. What's the opportunity cost of not being this precise? I would imagine it's you know, has an impact on your close rates and your sales efficacy, but probably also on your churn. Because just because someone is willing to buy doesn't necessarily they mean they have the criteria to be successful with what you're selling. And I think that's a that's a variable that not a lot of companies think about. But as more and more companies, especially startups, start focusing on this concept of NRR, net re retained revenue, that has an impact on who you sell to from the very beginning, right? I think that's what the, the smart 
RevOps people are really seeing and realizing out there. It's, you know, they're responsible for the, the entire system, the entire funnel. And one of the best ways you make the entire funnel better is by having uh, better input. If the targets going into the funnel fundamentally fit your ICP really well, because they're structured in a way and they have the types of challenges, well, in a way, like every metric can be improved. They close faster, they spend more, and they stick with you longer, which is really all, all those elements of, of NRR. How, how does this change then a company's go-to-market strategy? Because I could argue that if we need to be this precise and this dynamic and who we're selling to, does this make uh, things like inbound irrelevant? Does this make inbound, like going in, in prioritizing SEO, is that a lower priority for companies that are leaning in on this? Listen, you know, in, inbound's hugely important. We all love inbound, right? Nothing better than, you know, when you do a webinar, you're on sales pipeline radio and folks call you up after. Is there nothing better than that? Um, and I think over the last few years, you know, we've gotten better. We as an industry have gotten better at inbound, you know, recognizing that, you know, it's even better than a form fills if someone's just on your site to begin with and using some of that intent data and so on. Um, so I wouldn't say this is a, an instead of a replacement, it's an augment too. It's the other side of it. Mm -hmm. Because even companies with a really strong marketing uh, initiatives that have, you know, very strong inbound flow, they're still going to get 70% of their leads, give or take, from an outbound effort of some mm -hmm. sort. Mm -hmm. And remember, there's a lot of flavors of that, too. Sometimes the outbound is your core market you're trying to generate pipeline. Uh, in other cases, it's the next new segment you're going after. Where uh, too often, especially in a new segment, we all have less awareness of who the big players are. We don't know the segment as well. Trying to refine the messaging is happening sort of fast and furious. In those kinds of situations, uh, attacking the segment with much better data about who you're going after and why, because mm -hmm. of those characteristics they share that are important to you, um, that changes things. It's, it's an accelerant uh, really for that outbound motion. Well, and you can evaluate those inbound deals better too, right? Like I think, you know, and again, this isn't meant to be a pitch for Rev, but if you have someone coming in, I tend to think, you know, I think you're right, first of all, about inbound. I think that, you know, I think about this in terms of where you're proactive and where you're reactive. You're proactive is saying, here are the companies I should be selling to, and you have an outbound motion to them. As you are reactive, as companies come to you, you still need to be qualifying them just because they say, Hey, I like what you're doing. I'd like to see more about it. You should be saying, okay, like, you know, are these companies that actually can benefit from what we're selling? Um, are they companies that can afford what we're selling? Um, and the same methodology used to build your list, you can evaluate inbound leads and say, how high do they score on the exographic scale? Um, and that tells you how, how hard you want to lean in with some of these companies. Like with some, you may not push that hard. You may not invite them to the VIP event at the conference next month, right? Because they don't have as high a likelihood to sell. They're not as, as close to your target, uh, target profile. So I think it does really change. It doesn't necessarily change the prioritization of inbound. It changes the discipline and precision with which you triage that, those opportunities that come in. Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it changes how you think about the next steps. It could also change personalization and, and how you do the outreach. Um, and uh, it really is about, it's about being able to rapidly identify the fitness uh, of, of any account. Do they fit mm -hmm. your ICP or not? And, and you know, the best, the best sales reps, the best SDRs do that, you know, sort of automatically. Mm -hmm. But doing it at scale, doing it when you're entering new markets, doing it when you have a larger team, those things get real tough, uh, tough, to, tough to operationalize, tough to teach. 
yep. uh, without a consistent way of modeling it and bring it to life. Well, we got last question here as we wrap up with our guest today, Jonathan Spear. He's the CEO of Rev at GetRev.ai. Uh, it's been an interesting year, man. I mean, you know, we started the year kind of full throttle and then all of a sudden, you know, I, I feel like the last few months we've kind of been in like, we've been like a 15 year old learning how to do a stick shift, right? We're just kind of like sputtering forward, not really sure what kind of market we're in. Um, and consistently I'm hearing from companies that say their sales cycles have, 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 have expanded, right? Demand has not changed. Need has not gone away, but just confidence right now in making a decision uh, has changed. I mean, it just, it seems to me that this is yet another reason why the exographics are so important because you're far more likely to have a company that has a precise need uh, when you have that criteria in place. Yeah, we're, we've actually seen a, a big surge of interest in what we're doing this year. I think for some of those reasons, uh, it's even more important, you know, companies have to do more with less right now. They, they need output in an uncertain time. And you get better results when you target people who are a better fit. It's that simple. And so, yeah. uh, number one, uh, that's true. The, the other thing that we've really seen kick up right now is increased attention on the existing customer base. Mm-hmm. So a lot of custom, uh, companies we work with, especially if they've got uh, a product-led growth kind of motion, the question is, which one of our existing 10,000, 20,000 customers should we go after? Who should we upsell? Who's a better candidate in this market than mm-hmm. they might have been last year? Um, those are all places where exographics can really help. And we're seeing an increased interest there. Love it. Love it. Well, thanks again so much for joining us today. If you want to learn more about Rev, definitely check out GetRev.ii. Jonathan Spear, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Matt. Awesome. Well, thanks everyone for watching, listening to another episode. You got some hopefully good insights, some good ideas around your target account list. You'll have to see me tap dance a little bit in the middle there. Uh, all good fun. Nothing like live, uh, live broadcasting, but uh, thanks everyone for listening and watching. We'll see you again next week on sales pipeline radio.